Welcome to the Dollars and Cents Radio Show with your host, accountant and author Carol Topp, the homeschool CPA. Join Carol as she shares her knowledge on a topic of interest to everyone, money. On the show, Carol will discuss starting and running a micro-business, teaching your kids about money, and managing money in a homeschool organization. Carol takes confusing topics such as money and business and puts them into clear English. She's ready to share her knowledge with you on today's show. Well, hi, everybody. This is Carol Topp, your host of the Dollars and Cents show, and welcome to this episode number 30, where I am going to be talking about easy fundraisers for homeschool organizations. I wrote an article quite a few years back now, three, four or five years ago, probably for the old schoolhouse magazine called Easy Fundraisers for Homeschool Groups. And it's been on my website over at homeschoolcpa.com. Look under the leader tools and the articles, you'll find it there. And I shared some knowledge of what I had about ways that homeschool organizations could raise some money. It needed an update because some things have changed. So I thought I would record this podcast and just help all you who might need to bring in a little extra money for your homeschool organization. So we're going to talk about different kinds of ways you can conduct some easy fundraisers. I'm going to talk to you about how you need to report that fundraising income to the IRS, maybe even to your state, whether it's taxable or not, and then just some warnings that I have uh, to help keep you out of trouble uh, when you do this kind of fundraising. Okay, you're going to find some helpful information over at my website, Homeschool CPA. I've got a book called Money Management in a Homeschool Organization. And in that book, I cover lots of stuff about money management, obviously. But in particular, there's a uh, some stuff in there about fundraisers. So let me dive right in and talk to you about uh, really one of the most common ways almost every homeschool group I work with uses this to raise money and that is coupons or reward programs box tops for education is probably the most popular one and you know where that is where you have uh, you know the box tops or the labels from certain general mills products usually cereal boxes but it comes on all kinds of stuff i found out when i was clipping box tops for my homeschool group Uh, the only problem is that a couple years back Box Tops for Education said your homeschool group uh, needed to be a 501c3 tax-exempt organization. Well, that eliminated a lot of organizations that didn't have that status with the IRS. It, um, it's a particular status that you have to apply for, tax-exempt status with the IRS, or you have to be a very tiny organization underneath $5,000 of gross income a year, uh, but then you don't have any proof that you are 501c3 because you never had to apply and get the get the letter back from the IRS. It also eliminated most homeschool support groups because they are not 501c3s. You can go head over to homeschoolcpa.com and start reading about tax exempt status for homeschool groups if you like to or for, particularly tax exempt status for support groups if you want more information about what it takes to get this 501c3 status so you can participate in box tops. Now, some leaders were telling me they're still getting their box tops checks. I guess in some ways box tops isn't isn't going back and checking. Other organizations have said that they were cut off the program because, you know, they didn't have the IRS letter proving they were 501c3 tax exempt. So anyway, sorry about that. It was a great program and it was pretty easy to raise money that way for many years. I even wrote to box tops and told them what a you know a dilemma this was. I didn't get any reply. I got kind of a boilerplate reply. So uh, 
Sorry about that, but hey, if you do have tax-exempt status, uh, certainly consider box tops as, as a great fundraiser. I know of one state organization that does have uh, that, that tax-exempt status that um, box tops requires, and they, they kind of split the proceeds with support groups or other groups that might not have tax-exempt status. Um, I'm not sure how box tops would feel about that, but so far that's that's one way that one state organization helps the local support groups still participate in doodle fundraising. But you know, outside of box tops, there are other kinds of reward programs or shopping programs. You probably have heard of eScript. That's where you actually, or your organization rather, buys these uh uh, well, they call them script, but they're sort of like gift certificates. You buy them at a discount, and then you sell them for face value, and the organization gets to keep the difference. It's not a big percentage difference, but um, you know, people use script then to buy all kinds of things, and you know, it's a program that works. I'll put a link in the show notes for how you can learn more about the script program. I know one homeschool organization here in Cincinnati that that does it a lot, although I think it ends up being quite a bit of record keeping and quite a bit of money flowing through the organization too that that treasurer or they have a hired bookkeeper but that person has to keep track of. So pros and cons to that kind of e-script program. Hey, by the way, the show notes can be found over at dollarsandcentsshow.com. Look for episode number 30. I will also post them over at homeschoolcpa.com. Just make sure you look for this blog post on Easy Fundraisers podcast. Uh, another one I really like in terms of an easy fundraiser is a grocery store here in my area. is called Kroger. It's in many, many states. But they have what they call a, sh- a shopping reward card. And every time someone shops at Kroger and uses this Kroger Plus card, it's kind of like this little shopper's reward card, a percentage of what I spend goes to the charity of my choice. Um, again, the charity, though, it could be a homeschool group, but has to have that 501c3 tax-exempt status. And you know what? That's what I help organizations get and apply for, that 501c3 status. So some of these fundraisers um, turn out to be the incentive, the reason why some organizations pursue that 501c3 status. By the way, without that 501c3 tax-exempt status, you're supposed to be paying taxes. So get the status and participate in fundraisers and don't have to pay taxes. All good. <laughs> Let's talk about another kind of fundraiser, though, that's really been popular, of course, for a long time, and that's just food, <laughs> food sales. So in my homeschool co-op, when I participated in co-op, my kids are now grown up and gone uh, out of co-op, but they, we did pizza sales. We did pizza. We did about once a month. We met over a lunch break, and I think we ordered the pizzas for $10 pizza. We, we paid the pizza guy uh, $7 each and gave him, a, gave him a tip, and we still made you know $1 to $2 per pizza. And that wasn't a much, but it was 50 bucks um, or something like that every month. Maybe we did it twice a month. can't really remember now. But, you know, it was a nice, really easy way to bring in some some money. Just, you know, a little bit every month, but that added up and that helped. And, hey, you know what? The moms really liked knowing it was pizza day, you know, because then they didn't have to pack a lunch. So think about that. You could also do, obviously, things like bake sales to uh, to your membership you know that's especially if they're there at a, at a co-op or something like that that's a really easy way to raise money um if you if you do think about selling food like candy popcorn 
cookie dough, stuff like that. Those are those are pretty popular fundraisers. But just realize if you're going to go door to door selling those kind of food products and or stuff, any kind of product, you kind of you might run into you probably will run into some reporting problems with your state. Here's what here's what's going on. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more, but my um, homeschool organization decided we were going to sell, I don't know, it was like candles or gifts or something like that as a fundraiser. And I was the treasurer at the time, and I found out because we were selling door-to-door to the public, I had to file a form with my state attorney general because we were doing, uh, you know, selling things to to the public not just to our members well that form was like seven pages long (laughs) and asked for all kinds of financial information and details I was even supposed to fill it out before I started the fundraiser which I didn't know and I said to my board we are never doing this kind of sale again (laughs) and that's as long as I'm treasurer so just be aware it's it sounds wonderful it sounds easy but there is an extra burden you're putting on your treasurer or your board to report this stuff to the state I'll talk a little bit more about that um, in the second part of the program where we're going to talk about reporting, but that's just kind of a disadvantage of doing that door-to-door candy sales outside of your membership. Okay, another way you can raise money with your food are some restaurants that have sort of these uh, incentive programs. Have you ever seen this done somewhere? I know uh, local Chick-fil-A's around here will do it. And you basically tell your friends and family and members, hey, if you go to Chick-fil-A and you set up, obviously, with Chick-fil-A a certain time and date, they give a percentage of the proceeds that night. Um, of anybody that comes in with, with the coupon or the flyer that you give them or something like that, they give the percentage of the proceeds to your organization so just by someone going to eat at a restaurant at a certain day again I think you have to have the flyer you have to tell the person waiting on you hey this is for this fundraising or for this organization um yeah nice easy way to raise money so hey if you have ever done anything like that you know like done fundraising by eating at a restaurant would you please tell me about it you can drop me a note an email uh, Carol at Homeschool CPA, or drop a comment in the show notes over at Dollars and Cents Show. This is episode number 30 about easy fundraisers. Uh, I, or find me on Facebook. Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Um, Homeschool CPA over on Facebook would be a good way for me just to, to tell tell me what you know about fundraiser pros and cons of doing it with the restaurants, like I mentioned. Some Homeschool groups host their own dinners, you know, like they'll do a spaghetti dinner, um, they'll do maybe an event. Um, I I attended one where it was not a homeschool group, but I think it was some kids going on a mission trip, so they had a spaghetti dinner, and the kids served us dinner, and, you know, we were happy to um, pay a little extra, uh, knowing that it was going toward a good cause. So you might consider something like that. It can also be just kind of a nice, fun event for all of your families, and maybe you can invite, you know, extended families to, to come and have a dinner, and it, the proceeds go towards your organization. That's a pretty good way to do it. Um, let's see, how about we talk about just straight-up donations? You know what? Uh, you can just ask, especially if you have that 501c3 tax-exempt status, a donation to your homeschool organization is tax-deductible to the donor, and you should give them a nice thank-you receipt for the amount that they donated in cash to you, or if they give uh, goods, you know, um, like books or equipment or stuff like that. 
So you can accept donations via email. Just you know, give them your address. Say please send your checks here. Or if you have their mailing address, make up a nice donation letter. See what happens. You could put a button on your website that says donate here, and you usually do that through PayPal or something like that. You have to set up a PayPal account to accept donations and tell your members. You know, we are accepting donations. We and you know, it's always a good idea to have some sort of a goal. We would like to raise so many hundred dollars in donations, and hear what it goes for. And your donations are tax deductible. You know, please tell your friends and family. Um, but another thing to think about would be crowdfunding. You've heard about things like Kickstarter or GoFundMe or Indiegogo. These are uh, crowdfunding websites where you put out a project, and they work really well if you have some sort of project. Say your kids um, want to start a Lego team and it costs money, or they want to put on a theatrical production and they need upfront money you know, not just the money from the ticket sales. You could try to put something out there and say, hey, if you'd like to donate to this project, uh, these homeschool kids are trying to learn something about technology with a robotics club or something about theater by having a play put on. Let's see what happens. Now, to go this route takes quite a bit of planning. Uh, you have to have good publicity. you got to put in the time. So I'm not necessarily saying these are easy fundraisers because they are going to take work. But uh, just asking for donations via letter, email, your website, or crowdfunding might work well for your group. Again, if you've ever done it, tell me about it. I'd like to hear. Um, another way to do a, a fundraiser through donations might be a way that charity's been doing it for a long time, which are to hold um, walkathons or, you know, like 5K races or something like that. It kind of brings awareness to a situation as well. I mean, I've done walks for um, hospice and uh, disease preventions and uh, things like that. Um, a little different twist for a homeschool group might be a readathon. So you challenge the kids uh, to read books and um, ask for pledges based on how many books they read during a what six week or 90 day period. And you, you get, may, a grandma might really donate to that, you know, if her grandchildren will read whatever, t 10 books during that time period, she will make a donation. So something to think about. And another way to accept donations is for service, you know, good old fashioned car washes, you know, or maybe the kids will do some sort of project around, you know, for, for an organization. I know one group that offered to clean up um, the fairgrounds uh, after a county fair and they were paid something like $500 um, for the organization. Now that's not easy. That was hard work. And so are car washes. They're hard work. But Again, it's it doesn't uh, it, it's just done. You work hard and it's done and you've raised money. So in that sense, it's kind of easy, hard work, yes, but easy to manage. Um, before I take a break, I want to touch a little bit on one other popular way of raising money, which I can I'm not going to say is necessarily easy, but it's selling products. A lot of organizations do that. So I guess it must be successful, even if it's not easy. But that's where you basically, just, you send the kids out with, you know, order cards. Of course, the Boy Scouts around here sell popcorn, and the Girl Scouts sell cookies, and the American Heritage Girls sell pies. Um, at least mine did when they, when they were an American Heritage Girl. So you can get some ideas on products to sell at a website called Top topschoolfundraisers.com. Top is T-O-P, meaning top like the best, not like my last name, Carol Top. Um, I'll put it in the show notes, but topschoolfundraiser.com. 
excuse me, topschoolfundraisers.com, plural. I'll put it in the show notes again over at dollarsandcentsshow.com, episode number 30, and I'll also put it over at homeschoolcpa.com so you can find these links. But go ahead and look over there. They've got a number of different kinds of products you can sell. It might be something to consider, okay? But here might be something that's a little more targeted than sending your kids out to sell products, and that would be to host a used curriculum sale for your community. Now, here in Cincinnati, there is uh, a used curriculum sale that the Christian Homeschool Educators of Cincinnati runs every year. And when I was actively homeschooling, I had curriculum for sale every year. And here's how it worked. They rented a church, uh, like a big gymnasium at a church, and they sold um, booth space or table space. If you wanted a whole table, it cost so much. If you wanted half a table, it cost less. And then they charged... Um, uh, an entrance fee if you were a member of the organization this Christian Home Educators of Cincinnati you could come in for free I think or you got a greatly discounted price if you weren't then you you paid a couple bucks not much but you paid to come in and shop so there's there's different ways you could run that you said or you could so you could charge an entrance fee or you can charge the vendors a fee or you can do a little bit of both or maybe you could say dear vendors we're going to take a percentage of your profit you know like maybe 10% so they'd have to report to you this is what I sold today here's 10% different ways you can run it but it will take some advertising it will take some setup but I tell you it brings in a good amount of money for my the citywide uh, homeschool support group here and it's just a great way for you to serve the community by saying you know even if you're not a part of our group here are a bunch of parents willing to sell their used curriculum and uh, organization, I mean, people who are just interested in homeschooling would come just, just to look to see what was available. Sometimes people who weren't even homeschooling would come just because they liked and they knew there would be good books there. So um, think about, you know, hosting a used curriculum sale in your neighborhood. And if if you do do one, uh, you know, again, drop me a note over at homeschoolcpa.com or on the comments to this podcast at dollars and cents show and tell me how it went and tell me you know is it worthwhile is it worth the time that you have to put in because it will be a little bit of time but it's usually all done in one day and then it's over not continual okay let me take a little break now get a drink of water since i've been talking continually for a little while about easy fundraisers and i'm going to come back with some really really important information about how you need to report this fundraiser income and whether it's taxable or not and then a warning to keep you out of trouble i'll be right back You are listening to the Dollars and Cents Radio Show with Carol Topp. This is Fletch. And this is Kendra from the Homeschooling in Real Life podcast. We use humor and honesty to get real about Christian homeschooling. And with heaps of grace, we discuss topics you won't find covered at your local homeschooling convention. You can find the Homeschooling IRL podcast on the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network or by searching for us on iTunes. Homeschool leader, do you feel confused or overwhelmed by the job of running your homeschool group? You're not alone. Carol Topp, the homeschool CPA, is here to help. Carol is an accountant, author, and retired homeschool mom who understands you. Her website has helpful information on co-ops, paying workers, and managing the money in a homeschool group. If you need personalized advice, set up a consultation with Carol. She's happy to discuss your particular situation. Visit homeschoolcpa.com today and get the information you need to successfully run your homeschool group. 
Well, okay. I hope you got some ideas of easy fundraisers for your homeschool group from the first half. There's a lot of ideas out there. I was just sharing with you some things that I've heard other groups do be successful at. Um, If you have more ideas, I'd love to hear them. But sometimes your fundraiser can be so successful that you start worrying, do I have to do something about this? (laughs) Do I owe money or taxes to anybody? Well, yes, indeed, you might. So let me explain that for most homeschool organizations, you are nonprofits, and um, your income is what's called tax exempt by the IRS, especially if you have gone through the process of applying. But only the income related to your tax exempt purpose, if you will. So for homeschool groups, that purpose is education. So if you are doing anything related to education, that's not taxable, but the IRS has this, this concept they call unrelated business income meaning you're running some kind of business that's unrelated to education and that they want to tax why well because you're running a business and you're not you're not you're supposed to pay taxes on businesses and you think i'm not running a business well if you're selling products if you are holding even car washes or um dinner sales like we talked about yeah you are doing a service or selling a product in exchange for money that's a business okay so the IRS would like to tax that but fortunately they have several exemptions from paying what they call the unrelated business income tax and these will probably apply to your group so what I'm trying to say is on one hand yes there is this tax on fundraisers you can call it fundraisers meaning an unrelated business where you're selling businesses uh, items or services But there's enough exceptions that you probably don't have to worry about it. Okay, so the first exception to paying the unrelated business income tax is that you bring in less than $1,000 a year from your fundraisers, all your fundraisers in aggregate. So that that probably applies to a lot of you. So that might be box tops. You know, you bring in a couple hundred bucks from box tops. Phew, fine, don't worry about it. Okay. Or another exception, these are ors. Your fundraisers are run by all volunteers. Well, that applies to a lot of homeschool groups, of course, doesn't it? We're almost all volunteers. You No one's getting paid to run this fundraiser. So e- even if you do pay people, like you might pay the teachers, or you, you might even pay you know uh, someone to administer your, your homeschool program. Some homeschool groups do that. If the people running the fundraiser are volunteers, all volunteers, fine. Then you don't owe any tax on this fundraiser income. Whew. Okay. Some of the other exceptions are the, fa- are the fact that the um, fundraising activity is not regularly carried on, meaning you're not in business, you're not offering spaghetti dinners every weekend, you're not doing car washes every weekend, it's just a one-time event, you know, like the youth curriculum sale, that's not a regular business of your organization selling curriculum, it's just done once, fine. The IRS says, okay, you're not really in the business then because it's not regularly carried on. Also, if you sell donated items, that's another way you could run a used curriculum sale. Say, hey, bring in anything you don't want, donate it to our organization, we'll sell it and keep the proceeds. That's the way maybe you can raise money. If you are selling donated items, kind of like Goodwill does, then you don't have to pay tax on any of the profits. Okay, so that's the IRS and their unrelated business income. Most of the exceptions apply to homeschool groups, and you usually don't have to worry about paying tax on your fundraiser income. But the state, well, that's another kettle of fish altogether. Your states may require you to report your fundraising efforts to the attorney general. 
because the attorney general is the one who's trying to make sure that there aren't crooks out there trying to get money from people um, by pretending that they're charities or nonprofits when they're not really. So what they do is make they make the legitimate organizations report, report their fundraising efforts. Now, again, there are different laws for every state. I don't know all the laws for the states, all of them, but I did buy a book. <laughs> it's called Nonprofit Fundraising Registration, the 50-State Guide by Nolo Press. You're probably not interested in buying this book, but because I have clients from all uh, across the country, um, it's a helpful book for me to to guide them to know what needs to be done in their state. You might have to look it up yourself or contact me. I can look it up, and if it takes me a little more than just five minutes, I might have to charge you for it, but... You know, find out what your state requires. Now, let me tell you, there are very common exceptions toward registering with your state when you do a fundraiser. Here are the common exceptions to having to report your fundraising to your state. You only sell to members. It seems like they don't mind if you only sell to your members. That would be like the pizza sales my homeschool co-op did. We only did it within our membership. Okay. Um, some states have dollar thresholds. I've seen a couple of them. That it seems like the dollar threshold is sip typically somewhere in the $10,000 to $25,000 range. So like here in the state of Ohio, if you bring in less than $25,000 total in a year, and sometimes they exclude membership fees, so they mean like in donations or in fundraisers, they don't make you register. Okay? I've seen that quite frequently with groups. In other words, they're saying if you're small, we're not going to worry, we're not going to ask you to turn in a report about your fundraisers. Or another exception I see, and of course it varies by state, is that uh, all volunteers are running it. So some states have all these exceptions. Some states only have one exception. You need to know what your state requires. Some states just require everybody who's doing any kind of fundraising anywhere for any dollar amount to file a report with the state. So you need to know about that kind of stuff. And again, you can contact me, Carol, at Homeschool CPA. If uh, you can't find out what your state requires, and I can look it up in this book from um, Nolo Press about nonprofit fundraising registration for you. Okay, I want to give you one warning about fundraisers that you really need to pay attention to. I've written about it several times on my blog over at Homeschool CPA, but this is the warning. Do not, do not, do not set up what are called individual fundraiser accounts. This is where you bring in fundraising uh, and then you kind of divvy up the proceeds to the people who worked on the fundraiser. And usually this is if uh, kids are trying to go um, on a trip, you know, and they have to raise the money to go on the trip. And so they have a fundraiser and they say, well, you raised $40 in the fundraiser, Joe, so you get $40 towards your trip. But Sam, you only raised $25. Don't do that. That's what's called individual fundraising accounts and they are illegal. They are not permitted by the IRS. And here's why. Um, the money that came into your organization was for your organization, for the group as a whole. It was not supposed to go trickle down and benefit individual families. If it does benefit individual families, then that income is supposed to be taxable income to that family. See, fundraisers, just because you conduct them as a not-for-profit, are not tax-free. They're not. They they are a business, and they're supposed to be taxed. So the way you don't, your parents would not be happy if they found out that the fundraiser income that their child raised was taxable. So what you do is you don't set up those individual fundraising accounts. You leave it in the group as a whole. So say you have a robotics team. This happens a lot. I get asked this kind of stuff. 
in email. They have a robotics team. The robotics team gets an opportunity to go to a national championship in another city. They got to pay for transportation, hotel, food, all that stuff. They want to do a fundraiser. Fine. Raise it for the whole group. All right. The whole group. And then reduce the fees for the whole group uh, to go. You know, so maybe each parent now has to pitch in $100, but fundraising helps, so now they only have to pitch in 75 okay? But you don't make it individual. Does that make, is that clear? I hope it is. Listen, if you're getting to the point where you're saying you're creating a spreadsheet <laughs> and you're saying family number one, you raised so much money, family number two, you raised a different amount, eh, that is what is illegal. You could lose your tax-exempt status over this, okay? And some groups have been threatened that by the IRS. So please don't do it. I've got some links to articles in the show notes uh, over at Homeschool CPA. Look for this episode on Easy Fundraisers, episode number 30. Or I will put it also in the show notes at dollarsandcentsshow.com on this podcast about Easy Fundraisers. Okay, uh, you can also find in the show notes the article I wrote called Easy Fundraisers for Homeschool Groups. If you'd like to print that out and show it to your board and maybe discuss some new ideas. I also mentioned early on in the podcast that I've got a book called Money Management in a Homeschool Organization. Uh, I discuss lots of things about different aspects of running the money. You might find that book helpful. You can get it in print uh, at homeschoolcpa.com. I think it sells for about $9.95 or in ebook format if you prefer that. Um, it's a little more difficult, obviously, illegal to pass down an ebook to somebody. So if you want to buy the book now and then make sure you have it to pass down to future board members, you might want to buy a print version. The ebook version is only about, I think it's a $3.99 or $4, somewhere in there. Um, I have plenty of blog posts about fundraising as well. So uh, this might have been helpful for you to listen to, but some people prefer reading things. So... I'll put this in the show notes, but you can just go over to Homeschool CPA and look at the tag cloud on the right-hand side under the blog um, page, and you can uh, click on the word fundraising, and you'll read quite a few articles about fundraising, and mostly it's me warning people about those individual fundraising accounts and how that you should not set them up. So anyway, I hope this has been helpful. Um, fundraising is a good way to bring in some income. I don't think it's... Uh, the best way I think at charging for your services via membership fees or co-op tuition is the best way but it does help to have that little bit of extra money come in sometimes for some special programs so I've given you some ideas of easy fundraisers you can conduct and some warnings about the kind of reporting you might need to do either to the IRS to your state organization um, if you do hold fundraisers so if this is a little confusing to you and you're not sure where you stand either with tax exempt status or with your fundraising hey make sure you drop me a line carol at homeschoolcpa.com and we'll see um, how i can help you understand better your obligations as being a homeschool leader and managing the money so uh, hey would you do me a favor uh, and please drop a review of this podcast over on iTunes. I'll put a link in the show notes, but you can go over to iTunes and search on me, Carol Top, or Dollars and Cents Show. You might have to click on View in iTunes so you bring up the iTunes software to leave a review, but I would sure appreciate that. And if you find any of my books, including that one on money management in a homeschool organization helpful, I sure would appreciate a review over at Amazon.com. I would like that a lot. Thanks so much, everybody. Hope this is helpful and hope you're enjoying some of the other podcasts here at the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Take care. Bye-bye.
Thank you for joining the Dollars and Cents Radio Show with Carol Topp here at the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. For more helpful information, visit Carol at her website, homeschoolcpa.com.